Action! Welcome to Torn Stubbs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our celebration of 21st century horror as we move on to Happy Death Day, directed by Christopher Landon. And this time with a guest. We are joined by Shelley Toy, who runs the Point Horror Book Club online and hosts a monthly movie chat on Instagram Live, where she and her guests talk about a horror film that shares themes with that month's Point Horror Read. She's a massive teen horror fan and has been known to shout more blood, more death while watching horror movies. <laughs> Shelley, where did your love of horror come from? Oh, well, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, coming, Shelley. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Um, I blame my nan for my love of horror. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I know that sounds really harsh, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But basically, when I was far too young to watch horror films, um, my nan used to babysit me and my brother. Um, so probably from the age of six, the first horror movie I watched was The Evil Dead because of my nan. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know, The Evil Dead is like... I mean, I hate it. I've, I've spoken before of how much... I, I think hate Shelley it. hates it, it just, too. It, yeah. <laughs> it never connects with me, but I never found it scary. I found that one bit where the ankle gets stabbed with an HB pencil. Yeah. Specific HB. It's a very hard pencil. Right? It gets stabbed with a pencil. I found that gross. I was really grossed out by that. But I was, I was probably close to 20 when I started. <laughs> yeah. I still traumatised you. What does a six-year-old take from that? Is a six-year-old scared <laughs> of that? Or does a six-year-old just tap into the goofy nature of it and find it funny like a Scooby-Doo? No, I was terrified. <laughs> um, surprised. Yeah, slept with the light on for many a month after. But when <laughs> my nan kind of like put these things on for us as like casual viewing when, while she was babysitting us. And, and then it just got me and my brother like obsessed with like horror films and then like she brainwashed books you. and things. Yeah. So I used to so go she, round and she used to like... put it on for you or does she, she actually enjoy those films? I think she actually enjoyed them. Um, but so I actually... Christmas movie for her was like cannibal holocaust yeah she loved it you'd go into the house and she'd have like true crime like novels like all over the house and magazines and things like that so it kind of like piqued my interest from a young age and telling my mom at the age of 12 that I wanted to buy this true crime magazine so I could learn how to scalpel someone was very (laughs) shocking (laughs) obviously the thirst for the horror was obviously there. That sounds so wrong considering I was so young. But um, but my brother then used to like put like these horror movies on all the time, like Chucky and um, and things like that. And he used to basically terrorise me and my sister. <laughs> um, so from I there, taking lessons from your nan. <laughs> I know. Um, from there, I kind of was looking for I used to read Goosebumps and then obviously there was Stephen King around and it just was something to bridge the gap that wasn't too horrific obviously I was scarred for life by the evil dead but something that was quite fun and uh you know something a bit edgy and different and then these point horrors came about and uh 
the, the covers were just so eye-catchy and things. So as you walked into the shop and you saw them, and it was just like they everything. Raised, they? Yeah, like... Um, very tactile. Yeah. And they, they got extra money in the budget to actually make those covers raised. Um, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. They actually were given a bit of an extra budget to do that. Right. Um, it's because it was something different back then, so it would stand out. Mm. My friend who works in magazines, she she's fantastic, and she would always say that people's reactions to magazine covers isn't sort of logical, it's always emotional. So that you have to design a magazine cover that that makes somebody go, I need that, I can't live without that. And I think that Point Horror covers did that so brilliantly because you just had such a, you know, they, they're kind of like creepy and weird, but also weirdly cosy at the same time. It's an amazing combination. No, definitely. And I think as well, the the fact that they were so American yeah, um, was just the the what drew me to them as well all the americanisms because back then i was just fascinated with like cheerleaders and things like that so yeah so it was like it was like a proper moment in time i'd say like Mm. discovering point horror (laughs) it was definitely like the antithesis to the babysitters club or Mm. saved by the bell and i loved saved by the bell i watched that religiously yeah me too but it wasn't you know, it doesn't have an edge to it, Saved by the Bell. But if you wanted Americana with a bit of blood and guts, in quite an obvious way, it was always build up, build up, build up. And then the last 15 pages was the <laughs> payoff. They were very, you know, they were very structured. You know, it's 120 pages. They're quick books yeah. to read. What What is it about those that, I mean, I'm guessing we're similar age, 80s babies. Yeah. So what is it about, the point horrors that you haven't outgrown them or they haven't outgrown you <laughs> oh that is such a good question because funny enough I was thinking about this the other day um, when I was re-watching Happy Death Day um, and I was like why do I get drawn to these like that are very like <laughs> point horror-ish um, I just think one it's nostalgia so rereading them now getting that nostalgia hit is like Nothing can compare to that feeling that you get, especially if it brings back a memory of... I can kind of remember sometimes where I read the book or what I was doing at the time, which is really weird, (laughs) but that only unlocks when I'm reading them. Um, But I think... Yeah, is that such a hard question? I don't I know got, how to answer I, that. I'm reading, because um, this month's Point Horror Book Club read was Funhouse. And um, I'm halfway through reading that at the moment. And something really weird happened. I always read them in bed just before I go to sleep. And I read sort of like the first 60 pages or so of the book because they're like, they're really short. And um, I just had this feeling of, it was, maybe it was like ASMR. I just felt so cosy and sort of... Um, you know, completely absorbed in the story in a way that I'm often not absorbed by newer stuff. And it mm. must be that nostalgia. It must be that weird kind of That's latent memory think. thing. Mm. I think a lot of your interests, Josh, stem from nostalgia because mm. we've spoken about this before. You you are unable to leave your your teen years <laughs> in the past. You You respond so strongly to anything to do with teen horror or teen drama yeah so things anything that could be like buffy or um dawson's creek like you love love victor right now because Mm. this is the sort of show that we would have been watching 
in the 90s. This is yeah. Dawson's Creek with an edge. I think that I, I'm not necessarily interested at the moment in just sort of like general teen sort of ephemera, but if it's gay teen dramas, you know, that kind of stuff, it's so... I find it really powerful because this we didn't have any of this. I remember, I mm. really vividly remember watching teen shows and just sort of like wishing and hoping and, and searching the frame for a sign that any of them were gay. And they never, ever were. Very rarely were they. Well, apart from Jack. Jack was the only Green. one. Yeah, and they kind of ruined yeah. his character, to be honest. Well, yeah. They, yeah, they did. I mean, <laughs> the, the kiss was literally half a second and then they cut the camera. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was basically the cameraman vomiting and falling off the camera. <laughs> Point Horror, though, Point Horror was, for me especially, was such a gateway into horror movies because Point Horror really played with the archetypes. And, they, it, you know, the book, there's the book The Babysitter, which is very clearly inspired by Halloween. And um, there's Trick or Treat, which is also kind of a slashery kind of mystery. And I think that those Hit books just fed us into horror. Hit- Hit and Run's good as well, Joshua. Hit and Run's great. Actually, it's really <laughs> hit quite and shocking, run. Hit and Run. It goes really dark. Yeah. I haven't read it for a long time. It's the only one I... Because I, I used to I used to rent the audio tapes. Yeah. Oh, wow. From they the library. Yeah. <laughs> they were brilliant because it wasn't just someone reading it to you. It was like a radio play. They had yeah. sound effects and different voices for the characters. Really it was like slick. A full-on production. It really slick, yeah. And it was always across four sides. Came four with the tapes. Big, almost like the or four two tapes, tapes yeah. four sides. Yeah. The, so eight sides, four tapes, eight sides, and the boxes were always, you know, thick. You could, it's yeah. like a phone, but you could kill someone. With that <laughs> <box>. <laughs> I remember that. But the only one I had knocking about f- from years and years and years was Hit and Run. And when it mm. came time to have a bit of a book cull, I didn't want to send that one off to the charity shop, so I gave it to Joshua because I thought. It needs to go to a proper home. Aww. Yeah, it's part of the collection. It's in the collection. Uh, one, of, one of my kids now lives with Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> On a shelf gathering dust. <laughs> so I think what you said, Josh, about the uh, and Rob, about the teen kind of dramas, I generally am quite drawn to watching those myself. And mm. you're actually making me think now, why, why do I get drawn to them um, so much? And... I think it does stem a lot from Point Horror, but I think it is from just having that, like you said, Josh, trying to find something that perhaps you didn't see when you were younger. I do agree Mm. with that. Yeah. I just think they're a lot, they're a lot slicker nowadays. They're they're a lot less patronising and they're kind of, they're genuinely good. And it's like, I wouldn't blink an eye watching a film about sort of people in their 60s, 70s and 80s. So why would I lose an interest in watching teenagers having complicated sort of complex lives you know i think no matter what the age it's interesting yeah well sometimes you know sometimes things that are aimed at young adults at teens can often be a little bit too simple Mm -hmm. for an adult's taste Mm. but it seems now especially with the recent fear street the overlap is you know the gap is smaller those Fear Street films, and we're going to cover them later in the year for our Halloween mm. episode, our an- anniversary and Halloween episode, yeah. as always. Um, they're brutal. Yeah. And they're not just for teens. I, I mean, I would say they're more for adults than teens, but they're clearly aimed at 15 plus. Mm. Mm. My son watched the Fear Street. He's oh, 16. Yeah. 
Um, I think they might. Were they rated 80? <laughs> but anyway, he watched Shelley, them. you're just like your grandma. <laughs> oh, no, I was just thinking that. <laughs> you Watch just this. suddenly click. <laughs> but, yeah, he watched them and he really liked them. Oh, he, that's good. Um, yeah, but he's very much into, like... He's quite into wanting to watch horror. Now, I was very much like, no, you're not watching horror mm. until you are the right age to watch it. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> because of what happened to me. But um, I, I was le- never, I was never censored. I remember, I think I've told this story before. It was on, you know, the Tim Curry classic. And it was because it's a three hour movie. Channel 4 would always show it across two nights because with adverts, the one and a half hour first part would stretch to two hours and then the one and a half hour second part would stretch to two hours. Mm. So I remember watching it and being completely blown away by it. And I said to my neighbour, and I must have been like 10, Ugh. 9 or 10, 11. And I remember saying to my my neighbour, who was the same age as me, I said, did you see it? And he goes, oh no, mum's watching it to see if it's okay for us. And I, that <laughs> blew my mind. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> What's wrong with your mum? Why won't they let you watch a film about a clown that fucks up children? What's wrong with that? I would never have left the house if I'd watched it at 10 years old. I would have just been terrified. I would say I was about 10 when I saw that. Uh... (laughs) Yeah. But it's so weird. Like, uh, I I did relent when he was about 14 and did let him watch. Because I let him read whatever he wants. So I was like, well, I'm a bit... It's a bit hypocritical for (laughs) not letting him watch what he wants and like he's watched like scream and things and stuff like that and he, he loves it and he really liked the fear street and but i think he's like me he likes the blood <laughs> <laughs> my blood i think it's good to, to start kids off young on that stuff you know if, if a kid watched jaws they'd probably be bored <laughs> if they watch science of the lambs they'd probably be bored and confused like why is that guy behind glass why can't he leave what's going on <laughs> Or it's like Jim Henson used to say something like, um, I don't think that kids should feel safe 100% of the time or something like that, because he genuinely believed that scaring kids is actually good for them. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'd never seen Happy Death Day before. Had you two? Yes, I have. Quite a few times. It's like a favourite. <laughs> I, yeah, I loved it. I saw it when it first came out. I think I saw it in the cinema. Yeah, maybe, I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, I think maybe it was a press screen or something. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Had you seen it before? No. Have you already said that? <laughs> I, just, I just said, Sorry. yeah, I haven't seen it before. <laughs> I was expecting to do my intro and we've just kind of glossed over it. So. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to do the intro and you're going to do the intro in the magic of editing. The intro is going to happen now. Sorority sister Tree Gelbman, played by Jessica Roth, wakes up in the dorm room of adorable nerd Carter, played by Israel Broussard. Also, it's her birthday. What starts out as a bad day only gets worse when Tree is killed by a weirdo in a baby mask on the way to her party. The next morning, sorority sister Tree Galbman, played by Jessica Roth, wakes up in the dorm room of adorable nerd Carter, played by Israel Broussard. Also, it's her birthday. What starts out... Do you ever get the feeling that you're repeating yourself? Well, Tree's about to get that feeling because she's living the same day over and over again. And if she doesn't figure out who's trying to kill her, she'll be doomed to relive the same crappy day forever. So we're talking like high concept horror here. Um, Obviously, it mixes in massive nod to Groundhog Day. Um, But for me, this is kind of like an interesting... 
moment in horror where it's um, like the high concept thing kind of becomes a thing, you know, like this kind of kicked off a series of films like that did Happy Death Day to You, which is a sequel. Um, there was Countdown in 2019, which had a similar kind of college kid funny horror vibe. Um, Countdown? But, yeah, it's really good fun. It's about like an app that tells you when you're going to die. Oh, I've not oh, seen that. Oh, it's not about... Yeah, it's good. It's, it's really good it's fun. It's not about having two from the top, four from the top. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Dead. With rude words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, we talked about Fear Street. This is very much of that that elk, I think. Um, there was The Babysitter, which McGee directed in 2017, and Host, which is 2020. All these films that are kind of that high-concept horror that have a real tongue in their cheek um and yeah i just i just think it's it's just good fun yeah i mean i i might be wrong here um but with the similarities to groundhog day there was another film around that time i think it was called 1201 or something like that and that was um i really might be wrong (laughs) but i think it was like a similar concept where i think a lady gets shot um, and then the man like witnesses it and then he has to keep reliving the day to save her. Mm. So the concept, I think, was quite a similar concept to that. Yeah, there are no original ideas. Groundhog Day <laughs> seems to be the most... I mean, Groundhog Day is the most famous one. That is yeah. the, the cultural linchpin. I remember when Harold Ramis died, the Prince Charles Cinema just off Leicester Square had a um, a Groundhog Day double feature <laughs> to, to commemorate his death one ticket two films back to oh, back Groundhog Day we um, in Radio genius. Times every year on Groundhog Day Sky Cinema have a channel entirely devoted to Groundhog Day and they have it playing for 24 <laughs> hours in that one day and so oh, wow. in, um, in the Radio Times because we obviously list the Sky Cinema channels we always have like a bit of fun with that day's listing where we just kind of take the piss <laughs> it's, always, it's the yeah. highlight of the year <laughs> <laughs> Do you just have it, what, 8 o'clock, Groundhog Day, 10 o'clock, Groundhog Day? Yeah, but then we kind of like do billings that kind of link together in in uh, like jokey ways. So, Well, yeah. I think in um, Happy Death Day as well, one of the characters' surnames, I won't say which one yet, but oh. one of the characters' surnames is actually Spengler. Yes, that's yeah. true. And I was yes, like, oh, I, yes, that's quite a nice that. little tie-in. <laughs> yeah. I quite yeah. like that. Yeah, um, and I just love that love Tree that. has never seen Groundhog Day. That's just such a brilliant little, <laughs> like, coda at the end of the film where she's like, what do you mean Groundhog Day? Like, what? who's Bill Murray? He's just so good. <laughs> I did like that. Very good. <laughs> so, Rob, did you like it? I did. I did. Uh, I did uh, like it. Yeah. It's, it's never certain with Rob. I'm never sure if he's going to hate something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I did like it. I, li- I really liked that Tree... I mean, I sound like Thor. In, <laughs> well, it's Teresa, but in Tree. Infinity yeah. War, Tree. Um, I like that she's a dick. Yeah. She's a complete dick to everyone, just from the get-go. You know, she's short with Carter. She's horrible to the global warming girl, but I don't blame her. <laughs> I can't bear people like that in the street. She's rude to... The guy turns out to be gay. She's mm-hmm. horrible to the cake girl. And obviously that comes back to bite her in the ass. Yeah. And, you know, she's she's basically a plastic. She's part of the heavens. Yes. Mm, yeah. So she's a complete and utter 
dick. Yeah. Really. Um, I think that's such an inspired choice because A, obviously it gives her an arc. It gives her a journey over the story. But also we're so conditioned to to have the kind of like the wallflower final girl who's sort of like nice and maybe a bit shy and kind of can be slightly boring until there's someone for her to fight. Whereas Tree immediately is really funny and interesting because she just doesn't give a shit. No. (laughs) And she comes... I think if Tree was shy and retiring, she'd be really boring to watch. It would be literally... I mean, just imagine if in an alternative universe, the main character in this film was Laurie Stroud from the first Halloween. Laurie Strode. <laughs> Laurie, boring. Just, so boring, you can't remember work. a surname. Why? Why would you want to watch a film where the lead character is just a? It's basic and boring and beige. Yeah, she'd be doing the. <laughs> yeah, hiding in the cupboard like a, like a hungry puppy. Shelley, what what did you think when you first saw this film? Um, I went to the cinema to see it, and I loved it. Because I don't know whether I just missed previous films, but it was almost like a resurgence of slasher. Yeah. And like and that's what I loved. And it was just like I love the concept and I love that the I loved the character of Tree so much. And I just think Jessica Rathu played her. The facial expressions and yeah. like um some of the one liners she comes out with, like I think some of them might she might have like ad libbed a couple of times. She I did think. the footlong line. She ad libbed. Footlong, like, yeah, that was it. The, what kind of guy takes a girl on the first date to Starbucks? It's not like you've got a footlong or something. Like that, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. But I just can't imagine anyone else playing Tree yeah. at all now. She just did such a good job, and for me, she made me love the film even more. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It's interesting you said it's a slasher because it's not. I mean, I'm I'm not a slasher fan. I never find them all that interesting until other elements get added. So mm. I can't bear the Friday the Thirteenth movies until the supernatural stuff comes in about halfway oh, through. Okay. Halloween. Once you watch Halloween once, that's it. I don't need to watch it until. H two O is probably the you know the best one yeah. because mm. suddenly you have some characterization, but this is a slasher, but it's a it's a se- it's almost a secret slasher. <laughs> it, mm. it kind of hides its cards close to its chest, but doesn't allow it to be defined as just a slasher. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's almost like down the list of things that it is, slasher might be number. Four or five. Yeah. And yeah. like for a start, there's hardly any blood in it, which I know for you, Shelley, must have been really quite upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Need more blood in everything. Yeah. Well, because Christopher Landon, who's the director, he um he said like that he got a bit of criticism for the fact that it really didn't have that much sort of gratuitous blood in it. It's all very much kept off camera. And um, he said that the criticism was total bullshit because he want, he thinks it works better as like a PG-13, which I guess is like a 12A over here because of the kind of story he was making. Like he wasn't making a big gratuitous shocker sort of slasher. Um, so did you miss the blood and guts, Shelley? Um, I have to say I didn't. Not oh, in this wow. film because, because I think the story... And the way it was being shown, and obviously Jessica Roth's just 
brilliant acting. Mm. Um, I think I love her a little bit. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that just carried it through for me. So I was just that engrossed in it. I didn't notice it so much. I mean, you know, when they're coming running after her with a knife, I was like, yeah. But <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but other than that, I didn't miss it as I would normally. Oh, that sounds I so weird. I think too much blood and guts would have undermined yeah. the heart, the the comedy, the almost um, frivolous, sarcastic tone that the movie takes. Yeah, you know, you know, she she eventually after she wakes up after however many days, she does go through her Bill Murray eye roll like, oh, another fucking day. <laughs> That's what I, I feel like have... every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie is our lives. <laughs> but if you have too much blood and guts, then the emphasis becomes the blood and guts. Mm. And you're waiting and you for that. You have the comedy because then if you have the comedy, the blood and guts look goofy and that will, it becomes a vicious circle. It all undermines everything else there's only so much room on the screen for either comedy or blood mm. i just in a film like this i don't think it's gonna work something like the evil dead they're going for that kind of goofy mm. adult scooby-doo thing it worked perfectly then it just i don't think it would have worked too much blood and i yeah. love watching stuff with blood in it <laughs> me too but i think as well like happy death day had to really rely on people's senses so what i mean by that is you totally have to tune in to like the bell ringing and like the the you know the order of things that yeah. she sees them for the viewer yeah. to remember those as as part of the film you kind of have to really hone in on certain senses it makes me wonder how they picked the certain things that they did because they're so memorable yeah like you could just remember well, them the you got the, the, the mobile phone ringing yeah. with the happy birthday jingle. But yeah. Who has a happy birthday jingle Me. on their own phone <laughs> on their birthday? <laughs> I'm going to uh, do it this year. Birthday... <laughs> got the happy birthday jingle. You've got the um, car alarm going off. You've got the guy fainting. You've got the sprinkler system. Then you've yeah. got the gay so guy she, she does. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's... And, and also the roommate saying, oh, she rolls in or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it remind, I mean, it's basically the the scene in Groundhog Day when he's stealing the money and he's going one, two, three. The guy falls. Mm -hmm. Two, four. Yeah. Five, the car moves. Yeah. Take the bag. Turn around. Yeah. It's really like honing in on those like senses, and it just that fascinates me because mm. I just think, how did they pick those certain things? I want, to, yeah. I wonder to if... make you remember. Well, because it's very, I find it, watching it again for like maybe the third time, I found it even more sort of um, obvious, like how, how much they'd really thought through how she's mm. different every single time she wakes up. Because the first time she wakes up, she's kind of like embryonic bitch um, tree. <laughs> and the second time she's like confused and a bit zoned out, like not really engaging, doesn't really know what's going on. The third time she kind of has a big freak out. And the fourth time is just like absolute hysterics, having a panic yeah. attack, you know, just completely out of control. And I think they they staged those so brilliantly. You're completely yeah. on her journey, like you're completely there with her um, mm. and you kind of believe it, you know, you kind of you totally buy into it. And then you get that whole like montage of deaths yeah. when she's like, fuck it. <laughs> and like, just like <laughs> does everything. And like that whole montage was just 
it was just like perfection in a film for me. I loved it. Yeah. And that whole scene where she's walking naked, she yeah. actually did that on a college campus. Yeah. Like Ooh. she just felt so liberated to do it. She was like, no, I'm going to do it. And they had to like film it really quickly. Because <laughs> um, obviously it was an actual I think she's college trying to go campus. For a, um, she was probably trying to go for a Teen Choice Award. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she's, um, she called it her walk of glory rather than her walk of shame, which is just brilliant. Yeah. But I love that. Oh, I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that on the on the second day, so her first repeat, yeah. everything seems a bit deja vu-y. And it's only by the second day that she actually realises what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm. For such a short film, they do take their time to allow her to have this realisation. It doesn't feel rushed, even though the film is what? 90 minutes maybe a bit mm. over yeah really yeah it really takes take its time. time and it's just so sort of like it doesn't it's not flabby in any way it's so controlled and kind of knows what it's doing and um like you know the way it ends is just perfect where he kind of fake stages her waking up again in the time loop and yeah. oh i loved carter he's like my type of boy <laughs> i loved him until he I... smiled <laughs> i wouldn't trust him what <laughs> i wouldn't trust him look he he's so into tree but remember he's not resetting so every time she resets he's only known her since the night before and mm. yet she's an asshole to him but maybe he likes that her mood radically <laughs> alters and then she tells him this bullshit mental tale that she's in a loop. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with him? Is he that desperate for someone that that's his type? <laughs> Must be. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what he liked so much about her, apart from the fact that she's pretty. Yeah, I'm, mm. I'm, it's an American teen film. Yeah. Does he need anything else? <laughs> this is what happens in Point Horror. <laughs> yes. It's very point horror this film, which is why I think it. But yeah, I I thought they were gonna. I thought they were gonna reveal that she was Adolf Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Only you would ever think that, Rob. Go go with me on this. Go with me, right? When's her birthday? Eighteenth or something. It's the eighteenth. So if you take if you take the number eighteen, one is A, eight is H. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Whoa! But also, oh, her name God. is Tree, and there's a there's a a thing in Germany. I don't know if they play up to it too much now because the Nazis really tapped into it. It's called Volkish people of the earth, mm. people of Germany, and they wanted to return all the 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 uh, the diaspora. So people from uh, what was. Czechoslovakia they wanted to and the Sudeten they wanted to bring that back into Germany so the Volkish people could come back to the earth her name is Tree she is Adolf Hitler (laughs) I think Rob watched a very (laughs) film (laughs) Rob this is just proof of like chaos theory where you can read anything into anything basically if you try hard enough you'll find Hitler um who cursed her why is she having this why is she having to relive her birthday? Why is she cursed? And it is it is it a curse? Well, they purposely didn't explain it in the the first film, as far as I know. Um, I haven't seen the second, so yeah, if it uh, if it gets explained, then yeah. So tell me. 
it's lucky that they got a um a second chance yeah. to do it because they they did kind of explain it a little bit. It's a bit way out there. But they, they <laughs> well, if do the first film the is one. not really a slasher, the second film is even less of a horror film. It's yeah, it's a real yeah. like Back to the Future style romp. Mm. I would say. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of fun, but also just not a horror film. Yeah. So they Back to the Future Part 2 it? They do, because she gets sucked back into the loop, but we also experience it from a different character's perspective as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's decent, it's, it's good clever. fun. Yeah, it's good it fun. It is clever. Yeah, it's oh, very Oh, I might clever. give that a watch. I thought maybe that it was a quickly made sequel and it would be a bit shit. I'm just sad. I won't give any spoilers because obviously Rob hasn't seen it, but I'm sad they didn't get to do a third one because something happens at the end of the second one which quite clearly sets up the uh, third one and I was like, oh, that that yeah. would have been just perfect. So I really hope one day they oh, do I'm, do that. I'm sure in 20 years the guy has just made Halloween Kills and is about to reboot The Exorcist yeah. and go, I need something <laughs> new to do. And new to me means taking something old and making it new. <laughs> Says Rob as a fan of the Halloween remake. Um, but they, Jason like Blum, it. who's the producer on the film, he has said, you know, I want a third film and damn it, I'm going to get one one day. So he's just we're holding yeah, out for Christmas. Yeah, it's Jason Blum. He's, he's the bloody sequel king. Yeah, he's, <laughs> franchise. He's basically... He's basically a rebooted version of New Line Cinema. He is. If it ain't broke, get Rennie Harlan to direct it. He is Bob Shea, yeah. isn't he? What's the connection with the electricity? Because every time the loop is... Every time, you know, uh, she's about to re-loop at night, the lights go out, the TV goes out, the power goes off, then it comes back on. So what's the connection with the le- mm. electricity? Mm, you need to watch the sequel. Yeah. I forgot that was explained <laughs> oh. in the sequel. Yeah. yeah. Has she just not put enough coins in the meter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Could put a fiver in Lecky. Go on, put a fiver in Lecky. I want to watch that big episode of Coronation. <laughs> but I think it works without the sequel because um, the fact that they don't explain it means that you're kind of you get more of a, a character reason for the reason it's happening. You know, she's a bad person essentially, and she has to learn mm. how to be a good person, and um, she's not. She's stuck in this, um, you know, I'm obsessed with stories about grief, but she's stuck in this place of grief where she's not able to move on from her mother's death and Mm. her mother shares her birthday with her. So, of course, it's her birthday that stands still for her. Um, So I think the film sort of, you know, metaphorically is very much standing in a place of grief, but it's not necessarily made explicit until later on in the film. Yeah. When you were watching it first time, did you get a bit disappointed thinking that the murderer guy was the murderer? <laughs> I was a bit disappointed, I think, only because... Toom, think... what's his name? Toom, Johnny Toom or something. Yeah. Was that his name? Yeah. He just looks like a horrible Basically, person. Basically, yeah. he just looks like redneck prison man, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but I wanted to see a bit more of him. Like, I kind of liked him. Oh, I liked no. him as in, like... You're one of those Bundy fangirls. <laughs> like he could have killed me. He's so handsome. tough men. <laughs> like a bit of a serial killer. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of like, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him. And I kind of like that he was like included. <laughs> and a good like Well, he's a proper slasher character. Like that's the film cleverly playing around with, with slasher tropes. Because mm. it's kind of yeah. going, um, you get a real early flash of him. 
Um, and then he's not really mentioned again until sort of the middle to the end of Act 2. So it's the film toying with your expectations of what a slasher kill is going to turn out to be. The film nearly lost me at that point because I thought, he's not connected to her. Yeah. It's too arbitrary. Yeah, definitely. I wanted it to be someone connected to the story. And yes, it eventually turned into that. But the film nearly lost me mm. at that point because I thought, no, no, I haven't, I haven't sat through an hour of this film for it to just be crazy bob from down the street (laughs) but i think that's quite clever of them i mean in one respect Mm. to kind of make you think that that was going to be the payoff Mm. yeah because you believe that's the payoff completely yeah yeah and i just love that it's got that clever that sort of second little ace up its sleeve where she kind of goes oh fuck i ate i finally ate the cupcake yeah and that's why (laughs) i died in my sleep it's brilliant yeah but before that she she hangs herself in quite spectacular yeah. <laughs> yeah. but how does she know that killing herself would reset yeah the I know that's what I thought it's a that's risky a risk, game right yeah that's a risk because yeah. suicide's clearly different to being murdered yeah, yeah it was a risk because it would be a bugger if, if she didn't wake up I mean she wouldn't mm. know she didn't wake up true it'd be bugger for us because the last half an hour of the film would just be a black <laughs> <screen>. <laughs> Can either of you tell me how many times she actually dies in the film? Just out of interest. Isn't it something like 26 or something? (laughs) 10. 10 times. Is it 10? I wrote them down. Rob is saying it very Day one, the first ever time she gets knifed in the head. Then day two, she gets a bong in the neck. Yeah. (laughs) Day three, she gets knifed against the door because we see the, the stab on the other side. Then day four is another stab. Day five is the bus. Day six is the bat, as in baseball. Oh, not yeah. Creature. <laughs> yeah. Day seven, she's drowned. Day eight is the police car explosion. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, that scene is so good. She's like, yep, um, arrest me. Brilliant. <laughs> day nine, suicide by hanging. Ten, death by cupcake. Mm. And eleven, survive. Mm. But are there, are there off-screen deaths because she has that montage as well? Well, I, I included those montages. Oh, okay. Oh, the, okay. Uh, I mean, I'm only going by the ones we were shown. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if we're looking at Groundhog Day being the, the you know, the, the, the granddaddy who sets the rules, there are so many more days in Groundhog Day that we don't see because suddenly he can play an entire concerto on, on the yeah. piano. And he's he's got all the, the riches and he's done this and he's done that. So clearly we are being shown a very brief mm. look into his what could have been centuries. Yeah. And this could have been the same for Tree. Yeah. <laughs> what do you what did you think Three. about the um the scar tissue lesions revelation that happens? That was genius. Yeah, I liked that. Mm. Yeah, that was genius. Because if she's remembering all the other days, why would the body and the cells reset, but only her brain not reset? So yes, everything should... She should remain the same. If she lost an arm, mm. would, you know, if she lost an arm severed mm. at the elbow, would that have carried on? Mm. Or, so many questions. <laughs> and I want answers, Sherry. I know, I know. Like... The answer to this question was no one offended by her hangover breath. <laughs> <laughs> We've, all been, there, We've all been she was there. Having, she was having breakfast with the plastics. She was 
talking right in the face of her Danielle. horrible flatmate. Yeah. Oh, everyone. Danielle. And she probably stank because she'd been out boozing and slept in a <laughs> student's bed. <laughs> <laughs> my my real question about that really was, and this is like, this only really occurred to me on this watch, is how awful is it that she basically, when she wakes up the first time, or actually even the first couple of times, she assumes that she slept with Carter while she was drunk mm. and she kind of accepts that as like par for the course rather than saying, yeah. did you take advantage of me last night? Mm. Well, maybe it... she took advantage of him. <laughs> she's the one who has no memory. But wasn't he drunk? Wasn't he drunk also? I think he might have been. Mm. But, but I know he... Mutually he assured like, destruction. Then. He, yeah, he made it quite clear, was it towards the end or the middle, and mm. he's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I would make sure you didn't vomit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, he even Carter. folded her jeans. I thought it was a, some sort of material. <laughs> yeah, it is material, Carter. It's jeans. Yeah. <laughs> but well done, there's, Carter. There's also, like, another scene, isn't there, like, talking about... Um, there's another scene where, you know, when they go to the party, the surprise party, and then she's, like, upstairs, um, and, like... Oh, this is the, day two. Yeah, yeah, so the murderer um, has got a like pinned down on the bed, and someone like walks into the room, yes. like obviously drunk, <laughs> and he's like, "Way!" Yeah. like this, and she's yes. going like, "Help him!" <laughs> and she goes, "Asshole!" <laughs> like, she, and like, I just thought, like, oh, I know this is bad, but like, I just thought that is such like a, a typical trope kind mm. of thing like uh, of that happening and it just shows oh that's so annoying and so wrong that that happened yeah. but is that included because this is a post me too movement horror film mm. Mm, possible mm. is it post me too it's a little bit of a message in there from from the filmmakers mm. Mm, yeah but i kind of i liked that they included that scene because i just thought oh yeah that's just just portrays some, yeah. like an issue well, it tells you a lot anything. about fraternity mm. life I guess yeah why isn't Tree arrested for murder when at the end well no both so at one point she kills the prison man mm. the serial murderer mm. and as far as the police are aware she's come to the hospital she's taken the policeman's gun yeah she's held the gun to the policeman's head <laughs> yeah. she's told the policeman to go and get help because he's going to escape and when they come back he's dead he's <laughs> dead so as far as they're concerned she's she's undone his straps and killed him dead yeah why isn't she arrested for murder uh-oh plot hole yeah <laughs> plot, i did wonder yeah. that and then at the end when she kicks her roommate through a window yeah. to her death. <laughs> yeah. As far as they're concerned, she's come back from a one-night stand and kicked her roommate through a window. Uh-huh. <laughs> no one knows that the roommate has been killing her in all the other days because everything's reset. So as far as they're concerned, she's just murdered her roommate and she's not arrested for murder. They're just like, <laughs> she was trying to kill you. Do you think she pinned it on, um, what's her face? Laurie. Do you think she pinned Laurie. the hospital thing on Laurie somehow as well? <laughs> Even though the cop clearly saw her. Saw her? Saw she her. must have done, mustn't she? She must have pinned it on her. Yeah. She kind of have done. There's a huge plot hole that is, Rob. A glaring, <laughs> unanswered question. Is it because she's pretty and pretty people can't be arrested in America? <laughs> and it's Jessica Roth. <laughs> yeah. 
What did you think of the baby mask? Uh, the baby mask uh... was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it almost looked like the 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 baseball bat baby mask killer in Fear Street. Oh, yeah, uh... it did. Yeah, yeah. And well... incidentally, her dad looked like the baby no. mask. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I think he, I think the um, Christopher Langdon um, picked the baby mask because obviously he wanted it to look like quite um, like fraternity and mm. campus wise. But I think he like trialed a few masks out from what I, I've oh, really? read. Yeah, and I think he like used to go into an office wearing different masks <laughs> and he'd see which one got the best scream. And apparently <laughs> he terrified this poor woman with this baby mask. He was like, "That's the one." <laughs> Thank That's you, madam. That's the one I'm Thank having. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your scream. Yeah. I, I heard that story as well. She is now having to relive the same day over and over <laughs> until she worked out who's behind the mask. <laughs> I'm the mask singer. But I think the um, person who designed... <laughs> who was that the, behind the mask? <laughs> the person who designed that um, baby mask, I think is the person who designed Ghostface. Yes, he is. Uh, Tony mm, Gardner. Munch? Edvard Munch? <laughs> no, not Edward Munch. <laughs> wow, he gets around, doesn't he? Um... What's Carter doing under the desk each day? At the beginning, when she wakes up, at the beginning of every new day, of the beginning of the loop, he's under the desk. What's he doing? Doesn't the sequel tell us what he's doing down there? Isn't he? Don't ruin it if I, it's no, true. No, I don't think. Is it not? I don't think it does. Is it the I sequel when she jumps down the, the like the the shaft and thing, and she like gives the guy the finger? Is that in the sequel? Yes. Because uh, I was waiting for yes. that to happen and never Spoiler. did. Because <laughs> uh. I so don't know I what reckon, he's doing. I think he was like plugging his phone in, like yeah. a sensible thing, like Carter would do, because he's a sensible boy. Yeah, <laughs> he is a sensible boy. Maybe he was doing a bit of <laughs> dust Sensitive busting. Shoes. Yeah, <laughs> bit of Zaflora. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a red herring because you, th- it, it, it does. It does, you know, open up a question, what's he doing? And I was for the longest time thinking he's the murderer. Mm. Oh, wow. So did you didn't you? guess Laurie at all? Yeah. No. Mm. Forgot she existed <laughs> until the end. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's... And that was the problem, really, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Like, I don't know how you felt about this, Shelley, but the fact that her motivation was she was jealous over the shag, the, you know, the disgusting doctor who was exploiting <laughs> his students was a bit like... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the I was a bit disappointed with the twist, mm. only because like I had forgot her about her, like Rob said, like I didn't really remember her very much. Um, but I just loved the ending purely for the the lines that Tree says when she's like, "I know I've been a bad roommate, but isn't this a bit too much?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like, "You've been killing me over some guy." Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's basically all it was about. Um, um, does Tree deserve our sympathies? <laughs> That's a good question because I would say sympathy for I'm being really killed biased. or sympathy for her general life All of it. situation. The whole, the mm. whole traumatic ordeal because she's going to remember all those days for the rest of her life. Yeah. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have sympathy for her, why? watch what are, are we expected to root for 
the curse or the person killing or are we expected to root for tree to find a way out of the the trauma i think i rooted for tree although i didn't feel sorry for her i did root for her because she i just loved her as a character yeah rather than feeling sympathy for her i think um, yeah, I, think I don't I felt know if that... that makes sense or not, but yeah. her character was just so captivating that that's why I rooted for her. Um, and when she poured that chocolate milk over Danielle, yes. I even rooted for her even more. Chug, but... chug, chug, chug. <laughs> she took ages to pour it and Danielle did nothing. She, didn't move. <laughs> she was Maybe in shock. she tunnel vision and couldn't see. <laughs> um, did the roommate deserve to die? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you're like, did those people in that fake version of the story deserve to be killed quite so horrifically, considering they hadn't really done anything? Like, Laurie yeah. didn't necessarily deserve to be killed. She made a She nice hadn't killed cake. anyone at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's just, she accidentally put rat poison in. I've done oh, that before. It looks yeah. the same as baking powder. But in that, on day 11, yeah. she hadn't yet... No. She hadn't yet given the cupcake. She hadn't yet killed anyone, <gasps> let alone let alone Tree. Maybe Tree's being recruited into Minority Report because she's preventing crime before it happens. <laughs> I had a chat with my friend who was like, it's like Minority Report. It's, it's like a future crime. You've got to nip it in the bud before yeah. it happens. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of the overall narrative, why is Tree allowed redemption, but the roommate isn't? Mm. You ask so many good questions, Rob. You're really making me think. <laughs> do you mean do you mean Laurie the roommate, or do you mean Danielle who does the really inappropriate death thing? So Tree is allowed redemption, right? By the end of the film, she's yeah. gone through her arc. She starts off a dick. She learns to not be a dick, and by the end of it, she doesn't even know what Groundhog Day is, <laughs> right? <laughs> but she is a nice person. Yeah, she's been all nice to Carter, right? She's obviously gone through her 10 days of... Sobriety or whatever. Of, of sobriety, yeah, yeah. her 12-step programme. She's forced into being a nice person, realising the error of her ways, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. The roommate, as far as the roommate and as far as the rest of the world is concerned, on that day 11, only Tree knows what happened on day 1 to 10. Hmm. The roommate isn't allowed, in the terms of the film, for us audience members, she's not allowed to be redeemed. She has to be kicked out of a window in order for the, the story to feel complete. So why can't the roommate, who is a victim of Tree's bullying, why is she not allowed a redemption? Because she's dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> she lost, all right? She just lost. The film... The film sides with the bully not with i think it's an interesting question strange yeah it's a very interesting question and also that is something else that is addressed in the sequel in a very interesting Mm. way Um, yeah (laughs) i'm trying not to give too much away but i think in the context of this story she's not earned anything you know she's not maybe perhaps had the chance to change but she hasn't really earned it um, oh, Laurie. The, the roommate. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think it's a bit like um, the the whole character arc thing going from like bad and then you've learnt your lesson and you're, and you're good now? Like that kind of trope mm. um, that we, we all know from reading and watching movies. So 
as a viewer, does that make the viewer more satisfied that you've got that arc? Yeah. Of like bad to good. It's definitely yeah. It's definitely. I mean, it's an old. It's an old. Yeah. Arc trope, isn't yeah. it? And you see it in the real world. Like, how many more times do people want to say that Mike Tyson is a wonderful person? He seems <laughs> to be completely redeemed when he's a convicted rapist. Mm. It's very strange. It's people are very forgiving in order to perpetuate or to crave and want and actually have enforced a a redemption narrative. Mm -hmm. We see it a lot in in movies. We see it a lot in real in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange, isn't it? Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. You definitely made me think there, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> really? Rob? <laughs> but but you do believe she's Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I do now. <laughs> That was Happy Death Day, directed by Christopher Landon. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up in the next episode. Um, or we're going to get on a plane. Are we? Oh. Are we, though? Thinking about it. Maybe not. Thinking about it. Well, we get on it. Yeah. But, but we'll find out <laughs> next week. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss that episode. Joshua, how can people contact us on Twitter? We're on Twitter <laughs> at TornStubsPod. Um, did you watch Happy Death Day? Are you a fan? Do you like Tree? Have you seen the sequel? Shelley, where can we find you? So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at, at ShellyToy or for Point Horror and lots of goofy things um, at Tales Point Horror Book Club on Instagram. Brilliant. We are off to find out what is breakfast, Becky. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. And I'm Shelley Toy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Cut.
action. Welcome to Torn Stuff, with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our celebration of 21st century horror as we move on to Happy Death Day, directed by Christopher Landon. And this time, with a guest. We are joined by Shelley Toy, who runs the Point Horror Book Club online and hosts a monthly movie chat on Instagram Live, where she and her guests talk about a horror film that shares themes with that month's Point Horror Read. She's a massive teen horror fan and has been known to shout more blood, more death while watching horror movies. (laughs) Shelley, where did your love of horror come from? Oh, well, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for Um, coming, Shelley. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, I blame my nan for my love of horror. 